Oh, excited to be here this morning. What a great time of worship. Just want to lift up a hand for Ben and his team. That was just awesome this morning. Just, I mean, how cool is that when God shows up? I mean, we expect it every day, but it's just, I don't know, I just get excited. So, um, yeah, this morning we're going to continue in our, in our summer series with the testimony from, from Tracy on the names of God. And I just wanted to put up a, a short slide here. These are just the past names that we've gone through, and then as well as the testimony. So if you've missed any of them, highly encourage you to go back. Uh, they're pretty much all on YouTube. There are a couple that have a private link. So just text, message, email, phone, trap one of the staff members, and we'll give you the private link for that. We just aren't making them public um, just due to some of the sensitive nature of the testimonies. So today we're going to be looking at Jehovah Raha, which is a name we find in a famous passage of David's called Psalm 23. So we're going to use this psalm. It's going to be a, a quick kind of guide to our study of, of what is the role of a shepherd, why David named him, the Lord is my shepherd, and then why God is directly mentioned as our shepherd over 40 times. So it's not, it's not something that just happens once. We see this theme over and over again. And in fact, as we go through, it's harder to say what's the better metaphor, that we are sheep or he is the shepherd, um, but they probably work pretty simultaneously together. So I'm going to invite uh, Tracy Robinson to come up, give her testimony, and we're just going to open in prayer here. Lord, we just thank you this morning that we can gather, that we can gather as your people together, and we just thank you that you do things in our lives that let us speak to others uh, of what you're doing in our lives and just how you've supported us and how you've guided us through the dark paths and, and just even just the, the glorious things that you've done for us. And so, Lord, we just uh, pray for Tracy, we just pray for her testimony, Lord, just that it would impact our hearts, and Lord, just that we would just understand in a new and deeper way how active and powerful you are in our lives. Amen. Good morning, church. Um, I'm super excited to be here today. I did um, want to give my testimony so that it, it would encourage others about just how good God is and how he's always waiting for you. Um, my story is more like, could be like the prodigal son, like, that's exactly what it was like for me. Um, I just want to preface this by saying that this story is just a snippet of what God did in my life in the last year. I, I could write a book about God's goodness and how he turned everything around for me in the last year. I know I've given little testimonies here and there, but I, I literally could write a book. So um, I'm going to read because it's in an order, and I have I, I could go off on tangents, obviously, right now. So I need to read it, unfortunately. So I'm just going to look down um, a lot. So God is often mentioned as the shepherd of his people, Israel. Only once, though, do we find the name Yahweh, Raha, meaning the Lord is my shepherd, and that's in Psalm 23.1. The Hebrew word Raha, meaning shepherd, describes one who tends, leads, feeds, protects his flock of sheep. I'm going to share with you today how the Lord has done all these and more in the last year and how by seeking his face and ways, I was led out, led out of one of the darkest valleys of my life to date. And if you ever heard any of my previous testimonies, you will know that's significant. 
My backstory is that on being saved in 2014, I was so on fire for Jesus that I literally tried to get a personalized license plate that said on fire. But sadly, that was taken. I, I went to lots of conferences. I enrolled in Bible college and completed a two-year program. I listened to sermons daily in my car and while I got ready for work in the mornings. I led meetings and I was a freedom session facilitator and was always telling everyone all the wonderful things God was doing in my life. I gave my testimony here at Five Stones in the summer of 2018 on legacy, as that, is, as that was what I heard God speak into my heart. My daughter Britt and grandsons had just come to live with me and I was the only Christian in our family and God said, how can they know me without being around someone else who does? I had no way of knowing then the plan or how it would happen, but I trusted that it would. It's funny that you don't know how subtle the enemy is until you look back and see all the ways and times that he is also at work via worldly influences, by edging out our God time, by feeling entitled to things such as time off, or by going by our feelings, which usually come after thoughts that could totally be made up scenarios, the whole me first then everything else tricks, and by not tithing, etc. But over time, that is what ended up happening to me. I was no longer leading, I wasn't studying, I came to church when I wasn't away on my well-deserved breaks. I even remember the moment where I was getting ready and was no longer listening to sermons, but to what my daughter was playing in the background, usually rap music or something similar. I wasn't close to God, therefore I didn't have a firm foundation when my life drastically changed in March 2020 when COVID struck. I work in payroll, so I remember exactly the week everyone had to start working from home. That, that was if they still had a job. I, being in payroll, had to lay off half of all our staff. I thought I was going to be lucky and keep my job as I did payroll, but within a week and a half, I got the call saying I was going to half time. I literally lost my mind. Half time doesn't pay the bills. Half time is less than what everybody else was getting on EI by not working at all, etc. All I could do was be upset and share that upsetness with everyone I knew. I remember calling at least four or five different friends and families and lamenting my bad fortune. I had literally forgot who God was and all the things he had done for me in the past. Within three weeks, though, I was working full-time again as the company had laid off the accounts payable, all the office administration, and we went from six people in the office down to just me and one other person doing all the work. I was running back and forth between desks trying to do it all when in mid-June I smashed my elbow super hard on the corner of a counter at work. Over the next three days, my elbow was so bad that I couldn't move my right side of my hand to my shoulder, but I kept working as a as I felt I had to or I was going to be let go. I was completely living in a state of continual fear. Fear of my money situation, fear of my not being stable in my job, fear of my living situation, etc. Don't get me wrong, I still prayed and asked for prayer, but I did not put God first. I was being led by my fears. I ended up going to emergency as I thought my elbow must have be broken, and I ended up so allergic to the meds that I started drinking alcohol to numb the pain and get me through. I ended up working the whole time as there was no one else. They wouldn't hire back one of the other staff to help. So literally, I was, I was put in that position, or so I thought. 
I also had a big payroll platform implementation to lead from September to January, which my, my company knew would take between 30 and 50% of my time. I was given no help and ended up working six to seven days a week, sometimes up to 14 hours in a day. I remember crying many times at the stress of it all. I also cried out for prayer from Five Stones via prayer requests, personal requests, on, and on Facebook. I tried to get in a cell group and as, as I knew I needed more God, but somehow all my requests did not flow into me getting into one. I even signed up for the cell pod where there was at least two members, but that also did not happen. I do believe that there was a veil on this aspect as there can be no other explanation of why I wasn't able to. In early December 2020, I had a mini nervous breakdown and I couldn't stop crying. I would be triggered very easily, but the company still needed me to finish the implementation. So they let me start working from home and promised that by March 2021, when everything was completed, I could work four days a week, but keep my full salary. So essentially a 20% raise. That sounded like heaven as I didn't get my raise in 2020 and I didn't get anything for the implementation and I hadn't had a vacation in over six months. By the end of February 2021, I knew that without some sort of help, I would not be able to do the four days and get paid five thing. So I mentioned to my boss and he said that they couldn't hire anyone as he was hiding my overtime in my vacation pay so that the big boss thought we had accomplished everything working regular hours. I spoke with him many times, letting him know that I was burnt out and could not continue as normal as I was experiencing PTSD symptoms. I couldn't sleep, I was triggered easily, my brain wouldn't stop working or I would go completely catatonic. I couldn't even think at all, but he didn't care. I actually got into a screaming match with him on March 12th, 2021, saying if he doesn't hire a clerk for $20 an hour to do just the time card so I could at least have a day off, that I would quit. And he told me to go ahead. I wasted no time and wrote a resignation letter to him and CC'd the big boss stating that after many requests for help and after putting in all this overtime and not receiving what I needed, I gave eight weeks notice so they could find someone to replace me. I thought the big boss would question what I meant, but nothing. I was disposable by that time. And I, I, when I went in on the Monday, they all acted like nothing and they were looking for my replacement. They literally expected me to train the next person and not, not let on what had happened to me. It's funny how we care more for others than ourselves because by Wednesday, there was no way I was letting someone come become me and go through anything close to what I went through. So I called WorkSafe BC and told them what had been happening and then they told me I obviously needed to go on leave and that I should go to the doctors and get a note and then they will investigate. That's what I did. Please note though that all my friends and family who witnessed all the pressure and what it was doing had suggested to me many times to do that, to, to get a doctor's note that I was under too much stress, but for some reason, I couldn't do that to them, to the company. I was doing everything on my own accord, but not God's. I didn't trust him is what it all boiled down to. I ended up giving th the doctor's note on March 19th, and I never went back. From that moment on, I was a complete mess. I went from euphoria to being out of there to the deepest depths of inner pain. 
I couldn't stabilize my thoughts or emotions. I felt like an abused person, but what made it worse for me is that <laughs> I was a grown woman, and this was by my employers. I went to counseling and basically re relived the last nine months over and over. I couldn't sleep or help but lash out when things didn't go the way I expected. It put a big strain on my home life as not only did my family witness the trauma I went through, but also I was now daily in fear around my finances, how I was gonna manage to pay all my bills and rent and live now without having a job. I remember setting up an appointment with Pastor Rich on May 10th as I really needed some guidance and prayer. After spilling out my story, basically he said, sounds like you just need to get a job. And that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So to basically let it go, I was so upset that he had no compassion for me or my situation. I thought, how in the world is this guy in charge? He, I, he doesn't even care about me or what happened. <laughs> then on May 13th, I went to a psychologist who runs brain scans, scans on your brain that tells what's going on. And there, I had my proof finally that I was experiencing the things I was telling everyone. They could see that I wasn't getting any restorative sleep, that my brain was in a loop, playing the same thoughts over and over again, etc., and that I did have the markers for PTSD. I felt fully validated finally. The psychologist suggested that I go for wrongful dismissal and get some cash for my suffering. This sounded like a plan that would totally work for me as it meant money, and that would pay for what they did to me. Now, I want to share some of how God was at work the whole time. The one Bible verse that kept going through my mind was Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good of, of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. I would pray this verse continually and hang on to this promise. Sometimes all I could think is just, Jesus, help me. You know what I need. On March 12th, when I wrote the resignation letter, I was getting off, um, on, on the day I wrote the le resignation re letter, me and Brittany ended up going to pitch and putt. She wanted to go golfing. I wrote the letter. She said, just leave for the day and let's go. I was in a state and didn't want to, but we went anyway. My mind was so garbled with what was potentially happening in the background. My mind was literally making up conversations with my bosses, etc. So I wasn't present at all, and it was really noticeable. But on the 18th hole, I had this moment of clarity where I remembered what fear meant. Forgetting that everything is already resolved. God knew this day would happen. He knew it, and he is for us. And I said it out loud to Brittany. I took the swing, and I got a hole in one. <laughs> Me and Britt screamed, jumped around, and we celebrated God in that moment. So, And then during March, April, and May, I was receiving lots of prayer, especially from Deborah and Joyce. They would speak into my life and I would soak it up. I remember this one time distinctly where my mind was in such turmoil that I cried out to God to help me, that he knows what I need, and Deborah called me. And I was so grateful that as soon as I answered, I asked her for prayer and walked into my bedroom. She asked if I was ready and I bowed my head with the phone in my hand and she spoke to me about, 
She spoke about me as God's faithful daughter and that I just needed a sign from God so that I knew he was with me. And my eye lit on a golf ball on the bed that was not there before, and the ball literally was not a Titleist. It wasn't a Callaway. It said, believe. God was speaking to me directly. Again, I got a glimmer of, of God being present. Like, I, I can't even believe that to this day. I have the golf ball. It's, it says believe on it. There's no other title on it. I also had a prayer board. My best friend Petra had made me a couple years before hanging by my front door that all of a sudden really lit up for me. The verses I had chosen to put on there were Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arms. Nothing is too difficult for you. And then my other one was Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I really clung to these and thank God for knowing in advance that one day I would need them. And I felt that he had orchestrated them to be there for this time in my life. I was taking my focus off my present circumstances and feelings and putting them back on God. During my meeting with Pastor Rich, I had mentioned not being able to get in a cell group for months. And two days later, on a Wednesday, I, had, I was online watching the Wednesday evening service and in a cell group. I ate up everything spoken, and I loved it all. I was being fed the word again, and I was so hungry for it. Over the next month and a half, I had grown so much in God again that even though I got the lawyer and my company was willing to pay me, I did not pursue it. I had written nine full pages of all the things that had happened to me in that company, but I heard God say, let it go, and I did. All of a sudden, I wasn't in turmoil anymore. I was trusting in God again. I literally was experiencing the peace that surpasses all understanding. In September, I thought I had won the lottery when I found out that Five Stones was having morning prayer five days a week. Because how God had turned, uh, turned my mind around through prayer, being back in the word and speaking to me in so many different ways, I was ecstatic. By November, I was going to intercessory prayer at Pastor Rich's house, where the Holy Spirit led me to speak in tongues, and I received the new, a new burden to pray for others. My joy in the Lord was noticeable to others, and my cup was overflowing with the joy of the Lord. I was telling everyone about Jesus and how by really picking up our crosses and following him, that he is so good, faithful, and kind, compassionate. He is full of mercy and grace, and that he loves us so much that he gave his life for us, and now we give our lives to him to work through for his glory. At some, as some people might have heard during my mini testimony about morning prayer this past February, that is where God used the morning prayer to save Brit and my grandsons. They all were baptized on December 19th, 2021, a mere six months from the meeting I had with Pastor Rich where I thought he was totally the worst pastor ever. <laughs> but God knows what he is doing. He had to break down all the ways where I was double-minded to build me back up into a new creation in Christ. I remember going to Pastor Rich's for intercessory prayer and being flooded with how the meeting the previous May had gone with him where, remember what I thought he was the worst? Well, God showed me that how he was 
was how we should be when we are Christ-centered, stable, trusting, going forward, not fearful, not out, of, not out for our own vengeance, but we are to love our enemies. We are to feed them. We are to pray for them. We are to lift them up. I was there myself, and I couldn't have been more delighted. I want to just tell you a few of the things that have really opened my eyes to God being sovereign, only good, and how it's the Holy Spirit that leads us to be more Christ-like or to the one who helps us bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In December, even though I was on EI and having to go into my line of credit to pay my rent, bills, the, the Lord highlighted to me the verse that was then on the tithing slide. It was Deuteronomy 8.18. It is God who gives us the power to get wealth. Through the Holy Spirit's prompted, I started tithing 10% of my EI payments, which I couldn't even live on, and that doesn't make any sense. But I felt compelled to anyway, and I literally felt joyful doing it. On January 26th, I started working again for one of BC's top employers, and I have continued to tithe 10%, but not only of my earnings, but on everything I received, including um, my car got smashed up and I got a car payment. I tithed 10% of that. I moved. I got my damage deposit back from nine years ago. I tithed 10% of that. I have already tithed more than $4,000 this year, and I don't, I, I don't even know how, but God does. And I also have been supporting monthly Nation to Nation, Night Street Street Ministries. I have a foster card. Like, I don't even know how this is happening, but God does. Like, my fear of money is completely gone, and I just want to thank Jesus for that. In April, after living in my condo for over nine years, I received notice that I had to move by June 30th as my landlord had sold it. I had a cell group that evening where I shared this news and said, I guess this is where my trust muscles get built and we all prayed for God's will in my situation. Also, I was now also looking for how God would be glorified in whatever came up in my life. God is so good, so gentle, so kind. I was by this point so trusting in God that I was willing to move anywhere he wanted me. I knew that it wasn't good out there and that the rents are high and there's a low amount of units and they're bad quality but I had true faith. I just asked for prayer and felt supported by my, my community that I was a part of. God even used me by testifying to the realtor to receive his love. It was so amazing. I thought I was going to move into this high-rise in New West, but for some reason, my online application wouldn't go through. And when I met up with Deborah for coffee, she informed me that that building was an old Freemason one. God blocked my application as he did not want me there. That's, his, that's him protecting me. I felt prompted in my spirit that same day to do a search for apartments in New West with pools. And one came up that did not have a rental, but it had a rental inquiry form to fill out. I got an email the next day saying that they had a studio available on July 4th. I had literally just talked to the new owner the day before and asked if there was any leeway around my move out date, and they told me their possession date was July 5th. I knew then and there that this would be my new home. I went the next day to the showing, and they had already had a stack of applications and were showing it until the following day, but after meeting me, the, name, the woman named Angela, Angel with an A, 
said that she would close the applications after mine as that she really liked me. I noticed on the rental application that you were allowed pets, up to two cats or a small dog and one cat. I didn't have any pets of my own, but I wrote down I had two cats. The next day, I got the email saying that my application was picked and that I could come and sign the papers on Saturday. My boss also informed me that her cat, Luna, had kittens on May 6th and that they would be available for rehoming on the weekend I was going to move. Not only did I end up with a beautiful place of my own with a pool, two brother kittens, but my other daughter, Carly, would be able to get the third kitten, girl kitten. We now have weekly sleepovers with them all. <laughs> How did I know this was God's will? Because he let me know via the girl at the bank when I got, to, when I got the money order for the deposit. Another lady was supposed to be next, but she let me go instead. And when the teller saw the name of the management company for the money order, she said that's where she lives and that she gave a raving review and she said how lucky I was to get in there. Was it luck or was it God? It was God, definitely. And then after moving on July 4th and picking out up all the new kittens on July 6th, my daughter Carly and her roommate and childhood friend came over to grab hers. During different times, me and Deborah, morning prayer people and intercessory prayer people, we all prayed for our loved ones to be saved. On this day, the child friend, childhood friend mentioned that all of a sudden, in the last couple of months, she had become interested in studying the Bible. We ended up sharing God's goodness in front of Carly for three hours. I can't help but chuckle how through prayer, God is at work. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, he's literally working and and again, he gave me a glimpse of my daughter's future, hopefully soon, saving. I trust him so much completely. Anyway, my story is longer than this, but this is just a glimpse of just how God has changed everything for me and that he's only good and that I seek his face in all my, everything. I don't, I don't do anything without going to him first now. And that's why he is my shepherd. He is, I lack no good thing. And thank you. Thank you. Man, can everyone feel the excitement and zeal that just comes off Tracy? Like, I just like want to shake some of you and be like, trust him. Like, <laughs> just, <ooh. laughs> like, just let go. Let go. Lean on him. But instead, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite topic, which is Bible verse memorization. <laughs> Sorry, Candace is having like flashbacks to youth group right now. Um, but as I mentioned in my preamble, we're going to be looking at Psalm 23. And I just got like, out of curiosity, how many people here think they could recite Psalm 23? I'm not going to make you do it, just FYI. So, you know, feel safe. Could anyone recite Psalm 23? All right, kind of maybe about a third of you. All right. So, let's recite it. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right. Well, on a total other side note, can anyone here quote John eleven thirty five? If you ever have to memorize a verse, this is the one you want to do. This is like classic youth group. It's two words. He wept. Done. <laughs> so congratulations. You guys all just memorized a verse today in the sermon. All right, and now I'm going to get back on track. <laughs> so if anyone was to know what it was to be a shepherd, it was David. He was the youngest of all his brothers. He kind of gets the short end of the chores, and so he must go do the lonely, hard, cold, and dangerous job of putting his life on the line to protect some stinky, stubborn, wandering sheep. And yes, that statement can apply to both David and Jesus. And that's the reason why David named the Lord as our shepherd and why there are so many comparisons to this role throughout the Bible and how we are his sheep. So while shepherds were a pretty common job in the biblical times, um, not too many of us know free-range shepherds anymore. So let's just kind of review what is it that a shepherd does according to David. And we're going to use Psalm 23 as the guide. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So he's taking care of the herd. He's taking care of the individuals. He knows them. He knows their traits. He knows their habits. He knows their needs, their details. And he calls them all by name. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. So this is the provision of food and water. But it's more than that. So sheep tend to eat kind of anything you stick in front of them. So the shepherd would have to go through the field and remove the plants that were going to make them sick. Also, in terms of water, kind of an interesting point. It always said still water. I just kind of meant that meant like idyllic kind of feel. But it's actually if the water's running too hard and sheep get in there, their wool gets saturated, they get dragged down, and they drown down the river. So it's important that the water is still. So the shepherd would actually have to go put rocks in the river to make a still place of water. Now, there might have already been one there from another shepherd. They'd have to repair it. But the point is, it's not like, okay, here's the green field. Go into it. There's a lot of work. He restores my soul, and he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So he's providing a safe place to eat and rest. He's healing his flock. And he's moving them to places of safety and provision. And it says leading, not driving them there. And this was kind of an interesting point that I found in in my studies, is that in the West, we have this thought of driving sheep ahead of us. You know, the shepherd's kind of at the back, and maybe there's some dogs running around, and the sheep are going in front. And that works in tame pasture land in England and Europe. But we're talking ancient Israel, and it's rugged, and it's rough, and there's no fences to keep things out. And so the shepherd had to lead. And so the shepherd typically had to find the safest path to bring them to the next place for feed. So it really makes you think how much they had to know his voice, trust it, and come when he called. He's willing to seek the lost and restore them back to the flock. Obviously, the parable of the 99 sheep shows and teaches how to do things safely. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So this is providing spiritual support, not just physical support, but it's that intimate, holistic support that Jesus gives us. Providing security, comfort, is present when needed, always available, and the sheep know their voice. He arms himself and is prepared for trouble. It's not surprising. And he provides discipline when needed. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. So this is about going above and beyond to provide. You set your flock up for success, and then you celebrate them. And this is also about making the lowest your highest priority. They're sheep. Who cares? <laughs> you know, it's like that part. I mean, if they're living, but like they're sheep. <laughs> but this is celebrating them, right? And then surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there's stability, there's certainty. It's, it's this, there's ceaselessness to the role. You're providing housing, and it's bringing everybody into your family, knowing them by name. So to kind of bring it all together, there were 20 things that I found that a shepherd does in these six verses, and I'm sure I missed a few. So we're not going to go through all those points today, but think about how many of these applied to Tracy's testimony. So how many of these 20 roles did God actively fulfill in her life even since March 2020? And to give you a hint, it's the number on the green bills in your wallet. It's all of them. Now, sheep are naturally timid creatures. They have very few protections against the world. They're not known for a huge amount of intelligence. And they're quite easily spooked. And throughout Trace's, Tracy's testimony, she kept mentioning the fear that would come upon her. But she also mentioned that breakdown of the word fear. Forget that everything is already resolved. I hadn't heard this acronym before, but I kind of like it. <laughs> I mean, I put it on my slides. So, um, But however, in my mind, this acronym is only true for those that believe in Jehovah Ra'ah. Because if you do not trust the shepherd, or you don't have a shepherd, then what's resolving your problems? And that's not to say that believing in Christ means we have no problems. It just means we understand who is in control of the bigger picture. Who knows the larger scene? Who knows the future? And who knows us? It's us having trust in the shepherd's end game. And I've said this before, but how do non-believers go around in this world without complete panic? if they don't trust that God is in control? And I think the answer is, if you look at the world, there's a lot of panic out there. And that's why we are not called to hide our faith in these walls, and we're not called to just support each other. We are called to go to the ends of the earth, as Jesus put it. We can start small, we can learn, we can be trained, we can practice, but don't forget where we're going. And if you think you don't have the time, well, talk to Moses about how that conversation went. If you think you're too timid, talk to Moses about how that conversation went. 
And if that dark valley looks scary, remember, Jesus already went through the literal valley of death. And he not only came out victorious, but standing, and he brought the keys to the gates of hell and death out with him. So God is moving today. He is a shepherd today. So if you don't see him moving in your life, it's because you're not looking or asking. It is never because he is taking a break. But this does raise a trap that we all kind of fall into, expectations. Now, I think we should all pray with expectations and that it will be answered. But sometimes we get trapped in our expectations of the way that we think God is going to answer it. We are so focused on what is our perfect solution that that's the only one we can think of. It's the only one that we can see. And so we cannot see the moves that God is making in our lives. I liken it to playing chess with a grandmaster. We're focused on like two, maybe three moves. You got like a couple pieces out there. But he is millions of moves ahead. And he's not just focused on your immediate problem. He's also focused on how to get you to talk to him more, how to help you in that habit, how to improve your focus, how to solve the problem you're going to have one week from now that you don't even know about. And to go back to my analogy, you're playing chess, but his chess strategy is going to win. It's also going to fix your life, repair your car, weed your garden, and fund your retirements, all while you're just trying to make one move. He is that far ahead of you. But we get stuck on questioning why things are not happening and ranting and railing for all to hear about how life is against us. Tracy was on EI. She was using her line of credit, and she was injured. She was walking in the valley, and while all of us would agree that sucks, the Lord then prompted her to tithe on her EI payments. It sounds insane. Does God not understand that we need to eat? Yes, because he is the shepherd. And at that moment, he was leading her in the valley. But while Tracy couldn't see past into the valley, God knew the green pastures and the still water that lay on the other side. And even when she could finally see some of that green grass, he was ahead of her removing all the bad plants and settling the water to be safe. She just had to keep listening to his voice rather than look at the scary walls around her and keep her eyes on the Lord. Now, Tracy mentioned that her friends and family were all giving her advice, and she kept dismissing it. And I'm not saying all advice is good from friends and family, but this again shows that trap that we get stuck into in that even when there's a consensus coming to us in advice, it's not the solution that we want. God will use those around us to help. But let's be a church that calls upon the Lord. Let's be that church that knows his voice and trusts him to take us through valleys. Now, nothing about this is easy. It's hard, hard work. But we also have each other to encourage, to support, and to pray for each other. So a line that I loved about this testimony is just, Tracy was overwhelmed, and at the end of it, there's this one line where she says, it was stuck in her mind, Jesus, please help me. 
And I struggle to think of a better line to be stuck in your head than that one. Think of where the church would be or where our individual faith would be if we heartfeltly repeated that line in our soul and mind throughout our day. You're struggling to watch, to stop watching TikTok videos. Jesus, please help me. You're looking at your finances. Jesus, please help me. You're failing in bad habits. You don't want to be a negative person. You know you need a savior. Jesus, please help me. And on and on it goes. And here's the promise, guys. Jesus will. He is our savior. He is our shepherd. He is the shepherd. And our shepherd does not avoid tough situations. He does not avoid the danger. He's not afraid of work. He loves you completely, and he knows your very details. He wants to work to provide you still water, to provide you green pastures, to anoint you and feed you at a table in the midst of your enemies. Now, David wrote these words years before Jesus came to earth. But if we read John chapter 10, which John poached my line from earlier, um, <laughs> Just kidding, it's the Bible, it's God's, we can use it. Um, there's no trademarks. <laughs> Jesus picks up this theme of the shepherd for himself. So truly, truly, I say to you, the one who does not enter by the door into the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. I'm just going to kind of skip the rest because I know we have some time constraints here, but you guys can read it behind me. But the point is, Jesus says this about him being the shepherd. And immediately afterwards, it says, no one in the crowd understood. And so he, Jesus doesn't, oh, well, they didn't get it, leaves it. He doubles down, and I want you to really focus on the change of tone as he then repeats this next passage. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I and the door of the sheep. All those who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastor. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. And just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. And for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back. This commandment I received from my Father. There's no generic tones in that second parable. There's no cagey hints. This is Jesus clearly repeating what David sang of him and to him. 
And Jesus saying, yes, here I am, I will. I am Jehovah Raha, and I have the power, the authority, and the love for you to be your shepherd in all that it entails. Jesus then concludes this speech with the promise of his shepherding nature. And this is what John read earlier. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them from my hand. That's one hell of a promise. I probably shouldn't say hell. (laughs) 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 Throughout today, you know, we talked about the sheep knowing the voice of the shepherd. But this is the same as when Tracy is talking about being spirit-filled. It's not a possession thing. It's merely the surrender of ourselves to the Lord. It's letting his peace, his love, and his presence fill us so that we can be renewed. It's trusting in his plan, and rather than ranting and railing when things don't go in our way or we're in a stressful situation, we abide, we spend time with him, and we let him lead us. Let's trust his rod and his staff to both discipline and protect us. Church, let's be that people that reach and grasp for his presence and say to the shepherd, we are your sheep, please lead us. Show me the green pastures, the still water, be my comfort. Jesus, please help me. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you this morning. We just thank you for Tracy's mighty testimony. We thank you for the things that she is doing in her lives. But Lord, we thank you most of all that she has broken through and put her trust in you. And Lord, we just know that there is no rock that can be shaken. There is no foundation that will be moved when we put our faith in you. And so, Lord, we just ask that this morning you would just show us where our faith is shaky Lord, show us where we put our faith into the wrong things. And Lord, show us how to put it into the new things. Lord, guide us step by little baby step as we, as we put our faith in you. And Lord, we just thank you that you are just a mighty God, that you are our shepherd. You are Jehovah Raha. And we just praise your name for all that you are. Amen. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Alex. Jehovah Ra, God is our shepherd. In order for God to be our shepherd, we need to understand that we are his sheep. In order for us to have a shepherd, we need to be sheep. I feel like there are people in this room today that are not sheep, but you want to be a sheep. So I want to invite you to either turn to your neighbor, someone in our church community, and ask, how do, I, how do I allow God to be my shepherd? Go to Tracy, go to Alex, come to myself. And I want to show you what it means to allow God to be your shepherd. See, the greatness of God is available to everybody. But the greatness of God is especially available to his sheep. As his sheep, we allow God to intervene into our lives. We allow 
for Psalms 23 to be that passage that speaks over our life, the passage that Alex just went through. But in order for us to get to that place of saying God is my shepherd, Jehovah Ra, to, to for, God, for us to trust in everything that God has for us, we need to know his voice. We need to know how he leads. We need to know that he is the shepherd that, that has all good things for us. And so if you're here today and you don't know God as your shepherd, I want you to come and talk to us. Come talk to Tracy. Tracy, Tracy knows what God being her shepherd is. And I want you to be able to have that conversation with us. And we'd love to lead you into that conversation as well. But church, this is a new way for us to live complete dependency on who God is. Complete dependency. That even when you don't have enough to feed yourself with, that you completely depend on him. What a testimony. What a testimony of just Tracy's tenderness. What a testimony of how true God is to allow Tracy to be tender. God's goodness was all over her life. So many great things. Hole in one moment. Kittens moment. So many great things. Tracy, love your story. But all of this story is because God's goodness was there. And so Tracy bears witness to his goodness. So let's pray. Father God, you are so good. You are so great. And as a church... We want to bear witness of what you're doing. That we are your sheep. That we are your people. And for, in order for others to know who you are, we need to share it. So Father God, we thank you for just great testimony today. But Lord, we thank you for your spirit that's moving in your church. And Lord, may we as a church respond to your voice as you call. May we as a church know that you are there to lead us, that you are there to guide us. And Lord, that we are your sheep, we are your people. So Lord, we ask for your spirit to continue to fall in this place, to fall on your church, to fall on your people. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. We'll see you guys next week.